The following program is a presentation of Grace Communion International and Grace Communion Seminary and is made possible by generous donations from viewers like you. On this episode of You're Included, Dr. C. Baxter Kruger explores the view that God is harsh and unapproachable and that Jesus is the one who saves us from this harsh God. Our host is Dr. J. Michael Fazell. Well, it's nice you could be here again today. Good to see you again, Mike. Uh, last time we got together, we uh, talked a little bit about your book, The Great Dance, but one thing I wanted to focus on this time is the lady that you quoted from C.S. Lewis called Mrs. Fidget. Mm. And you mentioned one of my favorite characters in C.S. Lewis' writings is a lady by the name of Mrs. Fidget. And this woman so characterizes not only somebody we all know probably, but also ourselves in so many ways that uh, she's a great character to talk about. On page 78, for those who want to pull the book out and start reading, I'm thinking of Mrs. Fidget, Lewis writes, who died a few months ago. It's really astonishing how her family have brightened up. Mrs. Fidget very often said that she lived for her family, and it was not untrue. Everybody in the neighborhood knew it. She lives for her family, they said. What a wife and mother. She did all the washing. True, she did it badly, and they could have afforded to send it out to a laundry, and they frequently begged her not to do it, but she did. There was always a hot lunch for anyone who was at home, and always a hot meal at night, even in midsummer. They implored her not to do this. They protested almost with tears in their eyes, and with truth that they liked cold meals. Made no difference. She was living for her family. For Mrs. Fidget, as she so often said, would work her fingers to the bone for her family. They couldn't stop her, nor could they, being decent people, quite sit still and watch her do it. They had to help. Indeed, they were always having to help. That is, they did things for her to help her to do things for them, which they didn't want done. Mm. <laughs> and you say, the problem of Mrs. Fidget was not marriage, not relationships, not motherhood. The problem of Mrs. Fidget was the way she saw herself. Let's talk about Identity. I, I talk about it sometimes in terms of the I am nots. Believing I am not special, I am not included, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not important, I'm not beautiful, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not um, saved, I'm not reconciled, I'm not adopted. Uh, we have those whispers within us that ultimately have their origin in evil, but they come through people. And we believe we're not special, and then we have to find a way to become special. I believe I'm not important, but I will find a way that I can become important. And that's what Mrs. Fidget does, and I think she's a perfect illustration of so much that goes on in her life. She chose an ideal, an ideal of motherhood, and that if she could attain that ideal, then she would be special. And she wanted it to look like she really cared about her family, but in the end what she really cared about was her attaining her ideal of motherhood. And so, and Lewis is brilliant in how he sees the whole family is actually brightened up after the woman died because she was putting so much pressure on them to help her fulfill her idea of motherhood, which had nothing to do with real relationship at all and what her family actually wanted. So it's, I am not, I can be if I can get this. And then you can fill in the blank in how we take the people and maybe even whole denominations or nations into our I am not in our self-salvation scheme, and it can get really messy, and lots of stuff can be poisoned. And relationships is what the gospel is all about, not 
of doing stuff, list of rules, all that sort of thing that we like to impose right. on ourselves to help ourselves feel better. Measuring, we like to measure how well we're doing. Forget all about the fact we're talking about relationships. The whole purpose of life and the restoration that we have in Christ is for restored relationships. The real relationships, which means you encounter the other person and what they want and what they care about is important to you. Not just what you want them to care about, but what they actually care about, where they are in their journey. And that's what the way Jesus has met us in the incarnation. He's come to become what we are, to meet us where we actually are in our journey. And I think um, also the Mrs. Fidget story helps us with another problem that, that, squ- that comes out of this conversation, which is the whole vexed discussion of universalism. Because here you have a woman who actually is special. She actually is loved by uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit. She is included. But since she doesn't know it and she doesn't believe it, then she's going to invent an alternative kingdom and demand that her children participate with her in her wrong-headed kingdom, which is going to poison them and, and, and eventually kill her and destroy us. So is she included? Yes. Is she important? Yes. Is she adopted? Yes. Is she special? Yes. Does she know it? No. And because she doesn't, she goes out to create an importance that she can see, which is an illusion, which brings poison into the equation. And that can, the Mrs. Fidget-ism can continue on for all eternity, theoretically speaking. And it seems to me like that's what we all do. To me, uh, I sometimes think of sin as looking dead at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're wrong about your father. You're wrong about me. You're wrong about the human race and about our being included. So, Jesus, what I want you to do is stop believing what you believe about the Father and the Holy Spirit and about who we are. Change your mind, which is repentance, and I want you to believe in me and my vision. And we do that with God. We do that with our husbands, our wives, our family, our friends, our churches. And we're always imposing our agenda over the top of what's real that is present, but we can't see it or we can't receive it yet. So Mrs. Fidget actually has is multi-layered. As she's used in that book, we go in lots of different directions with it. It kind of reminds you of what Jesus said when he's talking about forgiveness. And uh, if you, uh, which is often taken as a, as a uh, condition for salvation, that if you will forgive your brother, then God will forgive you. Or if you have not forgiven your brother, God will not forgive you. But that's really a, a, a statement about relationships like you're talking about. How can you live in, how can you be forgiven and not turn and forgive others? It's like, People uh, ask me um, about universalism, about the sheep and the goats, and I'm like, hang on here a minute. People that ask about the sheep and the goats as if this is a huge issue are really telling you that they're goats. Because I don't know any sheep that care about people being excluded or not included in that sense. The sheep hear the voice of Jesus and they love it. And the people who are forgiven by the Father, they have their souls baptized with hope. They want everybody to experience this. And so the sheep wants all the goats to be uh, included and to see and to experience it. And we just get it convoluted. Um, But Jesus has brought the Father's forgiveness to us as we know it. He who is forgiven much loves much. The one who sees how how much they have been loved and forgiven has capacity for mercy and compassion. It flows out of them. That's the way I look at that passage. A lot of people see God as uh, angry at them or, or at least withholding uh, any kind of love for, for them until they've measured up, until they've right. done 
enough good stuff. Where that this this idea conflicts with the God we find who's revealed in Christ in the Scriptures. Right. So how do you deal with how does a person go go about holding two totally conflicting views of God together? Well, I, I think that the entire world, especially the Western world, has two different doctrines of God. One is uh, Greek philosophy, the God who's distant, removed, who's, who's totally detached, unapproachable, otherworldly, not interested, uh, except, in, and then we've taken that in, into the world of legalism, you add legalism to that detached other world. So this God is watching us who are intrinsically bad and is watching us and keeping tabs. And he doesn't really care about us as much as whether or not we're keeping his rules. And that's that's built into the fabric of the fallen mind. And through Greek philosophy, it spread itself out across the whole world. As and, though the rules come first. He makes rules and then he needs somebody to keep them. So he makes and, us. And we're just completely distanced. And he's up there and unapproachable. And... Then you discover in the face of Jesus the, the father-son relationship and the role and the place of the, the beauty of the Holy Spirit in that relationship. And you realize that the incarnation is shouting to us that God is not unapproachable. He intends to be known and, and to share that Trinitarian life with us. That's why he became human. I mean, that's the, I, I snagged this book a minute ago from, uh, from your library because of what Irenaeus says uh, in, in the early church. And he says, he says, our Lord Jesus Christ, who did through his transcendent love become what we are, that he might bring us to be even what he is in himself. So the one God is infinitely removed, unapproachable, not interested, except in rules and regulations. The other God is, I'm coming to become what you are because I want you to share in what I am. So you're going to get to be sons and daughters with me of my Father. You're going to get included in my anointing in the Holy Spirit. You're going to get to be a part of my relationship with all creation. So you've got two different gods running from in, in our minds and in our hearts from the very beginning in the West. And most people don't even think about that. Well, don't a lot of people even, even combine those two in the sense of taking that false view of God as the distant, uh, un, un, uninterested or unapproachable God and actually project that onto the Father. That's right. Then Jesus is the good guy. He's he a comes good guy. to he fixes and patches things up and he just keeps uh, keeps the Father in the background so that as he long as we shields us Jesus. from him. Yeah, as long as we hang with Jesus, we're okay. But if he goes to the bathroom from the playground, the we're father toast. Father might come out. We're toast. Yeah. I mean, because the Father really doesn't like us. Yeah. But Jesus has twisted his arm in some way to get us in the back door, as it were. And that's, that's exactly what we've done. We've taken Greek philosophy and in some of the Christian tradition, and we've twisted the Trinity to fit that. And we don't even know that that's what we've done. And at this moment in history, I think there's some untwisting that's happening, starting with the figure of Karl Barth um, in the in last century, and with people like J.B. and T.F. Torrance, and with uh, Moltmann, and uh, Colin uh, Gunton, and now Alan Torrance, and Trevor Hard, and this Lots and lots of people who are saying, okay, we want to participate in the untwisting. And we want to we want to divorce from Greek philosophy. We don't want to participate in that darkness anymore. We want a Christian tradition that stands on its own merits. And this is what we believe. And we're, we're willing to roll the dice to see where it, where it comes out if we are thoroughly faithful to Jesus as the Father, Son, and the Anointed One. Where is this going to come forward? And we'll find ourselves right back with the early church. I read that passage last night to a group of folks here in L.A., and they, a younger, younger generation, and they said to me, never, never heard that. 
Never in every in all my years in church, I never heard anyone talk about. It. I said that's the biggest picture. If you start out with this other model and this God, and you overlay Jesus coming on that, it's all about sin and it's all about somebody's getting punished and Jesus stands in our place. And and oh by the way, now we're supposed to love His Father. The bigger picture is. The father sends his son because they have decided that we're going to be given a place in their relationship. And Jesus comes to bring us to be what he is in himself. Not just to give us a gift like he came to give us a new coffee cup. What he came to give us is himself in his life with his father and the Holy Spirit. So you're untwisting this legal stuff and you're now seeing where the early, why the early church was born and why it went around the world. is because the message was not God is holy, you're a sinner you failed Jesus and picked up tab. The message is the Father, Son, and Spirit have set their love upon you from the foundation of the world. And Jesus has come and found you. And he's sharing himself and all he, he is and has with you. And in order to do that, he's died and rose again and ascended. Yeah, the way it comes across a lot of times is that uh, Jesus comes to pay the penalty for, for our sins. So he pays the penalty. We're, we're absolved. We've got a legal document, as it were, that says, now, okay, you're not guilty now. That we can hold in God's face. Yeah. Or just uh, just feel good about that, well, I got off the hook, and I'm so glad, and now I'm, I'm okay. But then uh, we've got to start keeping the rules, because the rules still are the most important thing. We got all of us past sins forgiven, but the rules are still there, and we, we've got to keep them, and now the Holy Spirit will come, and, and he'll help me keep these rules, and if I don't uh, stop keeping them badly enough, then I'll actually get into the kingdom where I'll keep them perfectly. We and, just and keep still, moving it's, the bar. It's all about the rules. We keep moving and we keep moving the bar. When the, the Holy Spirit comes to us to help us share in Jesus' life, and what was Jesus' life? He says, I only do what I see my Father doing. Father loves the Son and shows him all things that himself is doing. I, can't, I don't have my own agenda. I'm not here to do just whatever I want. I want to participate in what my Father's doing. So it's relational. It's relationship. Jesus says, I don't call you slaves because the slaves don't know what the Master is doing. I am calling you friends, brothers, and sisters because I'm showing you and will disclose to you everything that my Father, who shows me everything he's doing, is sharing with me because I want you to participate in our relationship and our way of relating and our way of living life in that relationship. Not just about... I mean, Jesus didn't come to give us new laws. He didn't come to give us a, a fresh vision of God. He didn't come to give us new steps to joy. I mean, the astonishing fact staring us in the face of what Irenaeus was saying in the early church is that Jesus came to give us himself. And in giving us himself, he's giving us his relation with his Father and his anointing with the Spirit and his relationship with all things throughout the cosmos. And that's who we are. And we're to walk this out in concert with him, in relationship with him. And we will do way more than keep the law in the process. Yeah, it's it, it, it's, um, it makes the law... Um, we don't need a law for friendship, do we? I mean, is there a friendship law? We're able to be friends because uh, we actually care about each other. We care about participating right. with each other. We care about being together in a, in a way that's productive. And, and we adjust our wants and our desires uh, to because we care about each other. You don't need a, a set of rules for that. If you wrote down a set of rules, you could make one. Right. But to sit down and try to follow that in order to create a friendship doesn't work. Mm. You can look at a friendship and say, hey, these are things that happen in a friendship, but it doesn't work the other direction. It, to me, Christianity is, is about 
and this may sound somewhat cliche, but it's just, it's beautifully simple. Christianity is about walking with Jesus. It's about being interested in what He's doing and what He wants more than we are what we want. Instead of me looking at Jesus saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you need to change and believe in me, we say to Jesus, I don't want to see things the way that I see them anymore. I don't want to see God the way that I see God. I don't want to see uh, people the way that I see people. I don't want to see creation. I don't want to see myself. I want to see God and people and creation with your mind and in your faith and in your wisdom and clarity, Jesus. I want to participate in your way of seeing. And I want, and he said, come walk with me. Walk with me and I'll help you see what's really real and what's really going on. That produces friendships. Because immediately when you've got two or three people that are saying, I don't know how to do this, but what we want is to participate in Jesus, then there's a point of connection that's profoundly deep. And then they become brothers in a practical ongoing and sisters in a practical ongoing way where we're bound together and we care about them too because we all care about Jesus and sharing in him and not imposing our own ideas on the world or Jesus, the Father, Son, and um, a denomination or whatever. And he took he actually did that first. His interest in us was selfless. He came, showed his interest in us by taking up our cause, becoming one of us, uh, and creating the room, the space for that relationship to happen. This is where you will see, I think, in the future, the unraveling of, the, of that whole notion of penal substitution where Jesus supposedly goes to the cross to suffer the wrath of God that was intended for us. I just don't see in the New Testament that Jesus suffered the wrath of God. I don't see that he suffered the rejection and abandonment of the Holy Spirit. If you read the New Testament, if you read the Gospels and you say, why did Jesus die? Then he tells you, I am going to Jerusalem. The Jews and the Gentiles are going to go and conspire together and they're going to kill me. And I'm going to let them do it. And on the third day I'll rise again. And you look and you think... If you see from the beginning of the Bible, the point here is the Lord is saying, I want a relationship that is real with the human race so that in this relationship, I can share with them the very life that I experienced with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is stepping into that. And so he's going to find a way to have a relationship with us as we really are in our brokenness. Otherwise, he's not uh, accomplishing the dream, which is to share with us this Trinitarian life. And so how is he going to do that? He's going to do that by allowing himself to be crucified by the human race. And he's going to allow us to, he's going to bear our scorn. He's going to allow us to, to make him the scapegoat and to pour our rage and our wrath and our anger onto him and he's going to take it. He's actually going to submit himself to our wrong-headed judgment and to our religion which he totally disapproves of, he's going to submit himself to it and he's going to die in the arms of our bitterness. And in doing so, he's establishing a relationship with us at our very worst. And he brought his father and he brought the Holy Spirit with him. That's why adoption is not a doctrine. Adoption is what he is. Jesus has included the angry, vengeful, murderous, resentful human race in his relationship with his father. That's adoption. Not, not the pristine version that we can dress up on Sunday. Jesus has included all of us at our very worst in his relation with his Father and in his anointing in the Holy Spirit. So that, to me, is where the whole thing gets untwisted and back in line with the early church's vision of the Trinity and the Incarnation. And, I, and as that is seen and known, some, it's too beautiful for words. 
mean that Father, Son, and Spirit deliberately submit themselves to our judgment, even though it's boneheaded and completely backwards and upside down and wrong. But they do that in order to meet the real us as we are, to share their life with us. That's the heart of the gospel. So that's what we're to do with other people. We're to, to embrace them and meet them where they are and share the truth with them in it. That don't mean that we put ourselves in abusive situations as Jesus did. And I think because of what he did, we can move forward. But I don't mean that as a pattern of, of okay, therefore I'm supposed to go, you know, stir up trouble and, and let people just crucify me because it sounds like a good thing, good way to, to meet Jesus or participate with Jesus. I mean that we embrace people where they are. We accept them as they are. It's not our judge, judgment, I mean, not our, our position to judge them or to or to to clean them up. Our job is to meet them where they are and accept them in their brokenness and to tell them who they really are, which is back to the, the truth that will set Mrs. Fidget free is, oh, yes, you are accepted just as you are, so you don't need to invent this ideal motherhood and you don't need to impose this vision of yours on your family, so you don't need to destroy relations in your family because of your own need here. You begin with you're included. You begin with I am acceptable, I am special because Jesus has come and found me. So how do we look at the difference between believers and unbelievers? Well, the, the first distinction is not that believers are in and unbelievers are out. Jesus has embraced the human race and indeed the entire cosmos in himself. He's the one in and through and by, it was, by whom it was created. And now he's stepped into it and he's brought his relationship with the entire cosmos together in himself and given us a place in his relation with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And that's who we are. That's our identity. We don't make that so. Whether we believe it or not believe it doesn't change the fact of who we really are in Jesus. He's done this in beautiful and sovereign grace. So now the question is, where are we in our journey of understanding that? And that's where the distinctions like, like not inside-outside, but the distinction between believer and unbeliever become important because there clearly are people who are raising their hands saying, Jesus, I don't want to see things the way I see them anymore. Uh, I'm still fumbling around, and, and my life may not look any better on the outside than the person who says, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. No. But there's a difference in, in terms of orientation and what we're doing. And, and for me, I say, the best I've ever heard anybody say in my travels is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm. I've never heard anybody say, well, that's the way it used to be until I really you know, got saved or I got the Holy Ghost. Now I don't even have to pray about my unbelief. We're struggling. Believers are people who know that Jesus is the answer. We just don't know how. We don't know what it really means yet. We're, and that's where we grab each other's hands and say, let's walk with him. And unbelievers are people who are looking somewhere else to experience their salvation. But it doesn't change the fact of who we really are and what's happened. It changes our experience of Mrs. Fidget invented a legendary idea of motherhood and imposed it on the whole family so much so that it killed the family. And when she finally died, they were relieved because they could be themselves. So the distinction between unbeliever and believer is important, but it's, as long as that doesn't mean inside-outside, and that's the way it's been used uh, many, many, many times in the centuries, is that we are the true church or we're the true uh, faith system, and you outside until you do it and jump in the hoops, you're, inclu- you're not included. The gospel message is that the Father's Son has come, and He has received us into His world. Whether we see it or not, this is what's happened. Now, where are you in your journey to understand that between becoming a true unbeliever towards a true believer? And it's way gray there. 
lots of people want it to be black and white, and here's how you can tell, and this is it. But every time we draw a line in the sand, we hurt people, and ourselves too. Union and communion, or is that a similar? Union and communion is, is, is a great way of talking about the, the difference because union is what is. Jesus has established us as joint heirs with himself. He's come and found a way to connect with us, to relate to us, and that's who we are. We are people who belong and who are united with Jesus Christ. Communion is as we begin to see this more and more, saying, Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want to see something good here about me and you. I don't know what it means, but I want to walk with this. And oh, by the way, here's some other people. We're going to walk with this. And that opens the door for deeper and deeper communion, which is where we're participating actively uh, on our own rather than blindly. Uh, even though when I say it that way, it sounds still sounds sort of Christian arrogance because... Uh, there's so much of Jesus going on in the world, whether people see it or not, and um, that's that's how we can understand the fact that uh, sometimes unbelievers seem to be uh, better friends, better, um, more loyal, more faithful, kinder uh, than yeah. You than, see than the believers. love. You either see the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit as it's manifesting itself in people out here who are quote-unquote unbelievers, you either see that as the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit, or you find yourself in a position where I now have to have this Christian love, and it has to be vastly superior to the way this father loves his children, or I don't really have it. Where the real truth is that the Father, Son, Spirit's love is being shared with everyone on the planet, and it's trying to come to expression through our unbelief and wrong belief, and through our hopefully sometimes getting close to being real belief. And it's expressing itself. And once you see that, then you can begin to see what's going on inside of people because Jesus is that big. We're not, we're not going to meet Jesus uh, face-to-face and, and scratch our heads and say, Jesus, um, you need to forgive me because uh, um, I really, really overestimated you. I, I just didn't realize how small you were. I thought you were way bigger. I mean, we're, that's not what's going to happen. When we meet Jesus, we're going to be, man, I grossly underestimated your place and role in the whole scheme of things. You are the one who knows what love is. You are the one who shares your love and your burdens and your care with the whole human race. And I see it everywhere trying to come to expression, but we're all broken and blind and sad, and we all keep poisoning it, but you keep sharing it, and you keep working with us. And we're going to get to see who we really are in in, in terms of Jesus. And I don't think anybody right now would qualify as a believer. And Jesus is the true believer. The rest of us are, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And then you got people that are saying, I don't want anything to do with this just yet. And most of the time you got that, it's because of wounds and problems that have happened through you know, churches or abuse and things like that through parents. Most of the time I, t- I talk to people about Jesus being the Father, Son, who's come to share his life with us. People don't have a real problem with that, except religious people who want this hard line in the sand or in the dirt between those are outside, those are inside. It's a huge question. Sure, if Jesus were not our life and were not our righteousness, we wouldn't have any anyway. It, 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 same with belief. If, if he were not the believer, right. where would we have any belief? We wouldn't. We wouldn't. And if Jesus, I've often said, if Jesus, and Calvin says this in his commentary on, on uh, John 1 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Calvin says that if Jesus were to detach himself from the human race, the entire human race would disappear. So would everything. Everything would be gone. Everything's upheld by him. So that's the way to start about. So if where are these people 
who are creations of Jesus, who are included in Jesus' faith and courage and, and his parousia and his life and his anointing and spirit. Where are these people in their journey to understand that? Sure. Where are they? Well, they're all unbelievers and believers in all kinds of things. And the Holy Spirit's the one that's sent to straighten out this mess and help us come to know who we really are by coming to know who Jesus is. And that's the light. The light is always shining. Jesus is the one who's done this. This is who he is. And as we come to see him and know him, we're coming to know more about who we are. And then that changes the way we're relating to one another. Like it would change the way Mrs. Fidget related to her family. If she knew who she was and how she was loved, then this whole world of illusion, the pressure to create this and maintain this world, to give her some sense of identity goes away. And so now she's in a whole different place with her, her, her kids. She can actually care about them and what they want. And if it's cold meals that they want, then she drives great joy in giving them cold meals. And if they don't think she can do the laundry, they can ship it away. And they don't get sucked into her neediness and her world of, of uh, brokenness and trying to find some semblance of meaning. She's free to then give her life for them. And that's the way the kingdom works. So it's beautiful, the simplicity of it. But then, man, you start pulling on that thread, the whole world comes undone. <laughs> You've been watching You're Included. A production of Grace Communion International.